How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 190 of x Labs, where uh, I've been trying to fit this recording in uh, most of the day. Uh, they're doing construction right outside the house, so I'm looking for any moment that uh, there's a little bit of silence so I can actually not give you all a uh, horrendous, or I guess a more horrendous, listening experience than usual. So... This episode might be a little bit short. I'm just uh, trying to cram it in. But uh, today we are covering Wolverine, Volume 7, Number 11, June 2021, cover date, Legacy Number 353. Story's called A Confusion of Monsters, written by Benjamin Percy with pencils by Scott Eaton. Inks J.P. Maya, colors Matthew Wilson, letters VCs Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Amaro Basso, White Sobolski, cover price $3.99. This one went on sale April 14, 2021. And um, we're back in vampire territory here. Uh, we open right outside of Minneapolis, where we get the quick and dirty on where we left off with our Vampire Nation story. And, uh, you know, thank goodness we do, uh, seeing as though we haven't talked about it since before X of Tens. Um I think it was issue four or five was the last time we talked about the vampires, which is a very long time ago. Now, for those of us who may have forgotten, myself included, the vampires were working their way down from Canada. And they would take over small towns and farms and whatnot, and then they'd fill tractor trailers up with the bodies of their victims and then release them into the streets of larger cities so they can, you know, they can tell two friends and they can tell two friends, and before you know it, everybody's a damn vampire. Now, there are some vampires who aren't keen on being a part of the nation, and those have kind of exiled themselves to secluded areas, suburbs, farms. I do wonder if Percy realizes that there are actual large cities in the suburbs. I guess that really doesn't matter. We watch here as Wolverine kills a bunch of those resisting vampires who he describes as having begged for the release of death. So he's just stabbing them willy-nilly with his claws, with pitchforks, with stakes. It's, it's a bloodbath, I tell you. From here we go to an info page, and Sage is sniffing out vampire nests for Wolverine to track down and destroy. And we got some winning dialogue here, including Logan reporting that he burned a bunch of vampires and then peed on the fire to put it out. We got us a we got us a real badass over here, don't we? Uh, I wonder if this is part of his ride or die life. I don't know. Uh, from here, double page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters today include Wolverine, Sage, Beast, Louise, Dracula, and Omega Red. From here, we're back to Krakoa, where Omega Red is emerging from his cave. He he lives in a cave. 
Uh, there are some generic young mutants lingering around his abode, which uh, he takes exception to. He uh, appears to be projecting a lot onto them here. He suspects that they believe him to be a monster, and uh, yeah, they kind of do. Uh, they even call him one. He doesn't like to be referred in such a way, uh, but he does say to himself that Dracula is a monster. So Dracula's the monster, not him. And I don't recall old Arcady ever being ashamed of being a monster before, but oh well. Now, after chasing the kids away and digging up a bean or a seed or something from the Krakoan soil, Omega Red enters a gateway. Elsewhere, Wolverine, Sage, and Beast are tracking Omega Red's movement. If you recall, and you may not, Omega Red is subservient to Dracula due to the fact that he'd been implanted with a carbonadium synthesizer that had a detonation device attached to it. So, basically, if Red doesn't comply, he goes boom. Not really sure why Red would be too scared of that, seeing as though there are resurrection protocols. Maybe we're just not supposed to think about that. So anyway... Beast, upon figuring this out, killed Omega Red and had him resurrected with a tracker implanted in the C-Synth so that X-Force could monitor him, kinda sorta making him an unwitting double agent against the Vampire Nation. And, uh, holy smokes, there's actually an editor's note pointing us over to X-Force 15 for all the details? Wow, uh, wow, okay, and uh, hey, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. So here's my own editor's note pointing you to episode 143 of this series in the archives if you want to hear me talk about that issue. So, Red pops through the gateway, uses that seed that he plucked to create another gate on board an airplane that's flying over the Ukraine. From here, he dives from the plane into the water below, right outside of Chernobyl. So, while he's not aware of the C-Synth tracker, Red does seem to acknowledge that Sage is able to monitor the comings and goings via the Krakoan gateways, which is why he's going to such great lengths here to hide, you know, where he's headed. Now, it turns out that Chernobyl is where the Vampire Nation is setting itself up. Since, I mean, you know, uh, who'd want to hang out around an irradiated wasteland other than the undead? Omega Red arrives and demands an audience with Dracul, uh, who arrives with the quickness amid a cloud of bats, because of course he does. He, Dracula that is, compares himself to Professor X in that they both understand that true power is exclusionary. So, kind of comparing the budding vampire nation to the nation of Krakoa then. Isn't this like the second time Percy's doing something like this? I remember during the Pale Girl arc, we, uh... We met like that, uh, there was literally like a, a mechanical Russian island that we were supposed to draw comparisons to Krakoa with. I don't know. Now back over to the X-Force here. Uh, Beast is offended that Logan keeps questioning their plan. Logan just won't stop. To which, Wolverine pinches Beast's cheek and tells him that uh, he questions him just to make sure that Beast knows that uh, despite X-Force being the mutant CIA, that he still has to answer for his actions. We jump back to Chernobyl, where Dracula gives Red the once-over and states that his mind and C-Synth remain untouched. So, uh, maybe he ought to get his once-over device checked. Omega Red seems quite upset that the mutants of Krakoa fear and hate him, which eh, feels a little out of character, doesn't it? Now, Dracula suggests that he earn their trust by giving them... Russia. Again with the Russia? I thought Russia was our main bad guy in these books. Maybe it's information about Russia? Maybe it's Mikhail Rasputin stuff? I, I haven't the foggiest, and uh, what's more, I, I'm not sure I care. Info page. This is just a conversation between Beast and Wolverine that was recorded by Sage. 
simply to avoid having to draw a few more pages of actual comic book content. Now, Beast has a plan to taint Wolverine's blood with a fungal poison called KP4, which is an actual killer toxin functioning by creating pores and target cell membranes. It's from the corn smut fungus, Ustalago matis. Corn smut. That's a little kinky. So yeah, the plan is to taint Wolvie's blood, so when the vamps bite down, they die, I guess. So this is a bite-or-die situation, not a ride-or-die. Remember, this is all due to Wolverine's healing factor being what the vampires want, because getting a sip of that blood will help the vampires to be able to live in the daylight, so it is a means to an end. Wolverine has a different plan, however, and it involves calling in his secret weapon, and that secret weapon is Louise, from way back in issue one. We haven't seen, I don't know if we've seen her ever since, but uh, I know she was in the first issue. And so... We're off to Paris, where Wolverine is set to meet up with Louise. And uh, he's also bitten by the world's largest mosquito. Or at least France's largest mosquito. He explains the situation to her, and he also takes a bit of offense that uh, she hasn't responded to any of his letters. I didn't know they had a postal service on Krakoa. Now, she explains that she's been rather busy. You see, once a year, the Night Guard, which is the name of her sect of vampire hunters, they have themselves a gathering. A gala, even. Now, their guiding priest, a man called Father Cole, betrayed them, and he summoned a gaggle of vamps to descend upon the event. And so, the night guard is kind of in shambles at the moment. Logan and Louise are walking and talking as she shares this story, and they just so happen to witness an old woman tripping over her own feet. Louise rushes over to help the old lady up, and, uh... Well, um, she notices the blood on the woman's hand and goes into full-on vampire mode. So, uh uh-oh, Louise has been compromised. Wolverine pulls her away. Louise says she's not a vampire. Well, not completely a vampire. Well, at least not yet, but she eventually will be. She's been fighting off the infection with garlic and holy water. And Wolverine decides not to cut her head off just yet. We shift scenes to Oxford University, and here we meet a Dr. Boggs, who, is, who we learn is being used by Dracula to test the effects of Wolverine's blood on some test subjects being kept in the basement of his laboratory. He sends his assistant home so he can head downstairs and check in on his secret work. A bat flies by the window, which inspires Dr. Boggs to become a bat and strike fear into the hearts of the cowardly lot of villains and criminals terrorizing Gotha. No, uh, actually, I got a little confused there. This bat is just Dracula coming in to check in. Um, he is unimpressed with Boggs' work, cl- uh, claiming that he's using pretty lousy specimens here. Uh, he's using the elderly, the infirm, drug addicts, homeless people. Dracula thinks he needs some better subjects. And with that, he turns on the sun lamps that uh, burn the existing subjects to a crisp. He then nabs Boggs' assistant, who returned to the lab because he'd forgotten something, and gives him the old love bite. And we wrap up with a pair of short scenes here. First, Omega Red is checking in with Beast in order to spill the beans, real or fake, about Russia. Then, in Paris, Wolverine is allowing Louise to suck his blood, kind of like Chamber did with Jubilee over in uh, Generation X Volume 2, which uh, we just spoke about a little bit ago here on the channel. And uh, for this scene, a member of the Night Guard is watching this all go down, and that's where we leave it. Next episode, we got more Wolverine, and this time he's guest-starring in Power Pack issues 4 and 5. But now let's talk about this one, and, uh, well, I don't have a whole lot to say. <laughs> um, 
I feel like I'm I'm coming up with the same complaints for a lot of these books of late, where these books are really only concerned with themselves here, and for existing not only in a shared universe, the shared Marvel universe, but also on an island together with other books here. I feel like these books are just kind of segregated, like they're their own thing here. I mean, we have the Ben Percy corner because X Force and Wolverine may as well just be one book at this point. But they, it just feels like it's interested in its own thing here. We have the Vampire Nation. And as we're learning about the Vampire Nation, we learn that they are taking down small towns. Like, just wiping out small towns, which, sure, there are a lot of small towns around the world, right? But if you wipe out small town after small town after small town... Wouldn't you think maybe the Avengers would find out about that? They might hear a thing or two about that. But no, no, I mean, not even any of the other X-teams have heard anything about it. It's just Wolverine. It seems just very, very bizarre that... It's just hard to wrap my head around that. Like, something pretty big is going down here, and nobody knows about it except one guy. And, I mean, he checks in with his X-Force team, but... He's still the only one, you know, pounding the pavement here and taking care of business. It just feels kind of strange. Speaking of strange, um, what the hell's going on with Omega Red? Why is he worried that people think he's a monster? I mean, hes he literally is a monster, right? I, I don't remember him ever being this self-conscious before. Like, worried that the people of Krakoa fear him and hate him and think he's, think he's a, a dangerous individual. It's like, well, yeah, no crap. You're, you're Omega Red. You've been dangerous since day one. Uh, this is very bizarre. Like, he'd be crying to Dracula. How do I make them like me, Drac? How do, you, how do I make them like me? Well, give them Russia. Well, okay, but, I mean, since we started this Dawn of X era, Russia has been our villain half the time. So which Russia are we going to be dealing with here? Are we dealing with that that submergible island that we saw during the Pale Girl thing? Are we dealing with Xeno or what? What are we are we dealing with Mikhail Rasputin who showed up for like five seconds before X of Tens and then vanished? I really don't know. But that isn't to say that I there wasn't anything in this issue that I uh, didn't enjoy because I do like how they're playing up um, the uh, the feeling that Hank McCoy doesn't like being questioned because he he doesn't think he should be questioned and Wolverine kind of reminding him that. Uh, Hey, just because you don't answer to, you know, to the Quiet Council, you don't answer to Krakoa, it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to be questioned. I like that because, I mean, that's been one of my main observations since we started this, that Beast is kind of out of control. So him having to deal with and be checked by Wolverine feels, um, it feels right. It feels like something that we uh, we should hopefully see a little bit more of here. If only, you know, it's funny, I think the last time we saw something like this, I had the same complaint in that the conversation, most of the conversation, occurred in an info page. I believe the last time it was a Wolverine and Beast conversation that was observed by uh, Jean Grey. And here it's a Beast and Wolverine conversation that's being observed by Sage. And instead of actually giving us comic book pages, Ben Percy fills an entire info page with text with dialogue and um i don't know i've talked about i mean uh, god knows i've talked about the info pages a time or two right but uh the way i look at it it should be something to add flavor to a scene and not replace a scene and that's what we get next for us unfortunately 
we don't get flavor. We get replacement, and that just uh, kind of stinks. Um, really, I mean, I, I don't know if I can even fault the story for the vampireness of it. I, I knew going in that I was not going to care for the vampire stuff, so... I mean, I don't like mustard, so I'm not going to squeeze a whole bunch of mustard in my mouth and then complain about it being mustard, you know? So I don't like vampire stories. So it's just a, uh, that's just my bias and my baggage, I suppose. Um, Not really looking forward to the next issue. I am looking forward to getting past the vampire story. I know we've looked at the solicits for the next couple of months, and I believe they're, I believe it's all vampires for that part. So hopefully... After the gala, we'll be able to get onto something that isn't Dracul-related. So, that's really all I got to say about this issue. Oh, oh, we have a different artist. We've got Scott Eaton, who, um, perfectly serviceable artist. Uh, certainly no, no Kubert, uh, not a Bogdanovic. Um, it feels a little bit stiffer than what we're accustomed to on Wolverine. Not, not by any means bad or terrible, but, uh... There's really big shoes to fill on this book The art is uh, very, very strong on this book I mean, Cubit's Cubit And Bogdanovic is like a uh, like a new Greg Capullo So, I mean, it's uh, it's good stuff uh, More often than not uh, At least uh, from you know the art regard there But yeah, overall, if you like vampire stories You'll probably like this If you don't Well, we'll just have to grin and bear it together, won't we? But uh, that'll do it for the discussion of the issue. We only have one letter in the uh, old mailbag today, so let's get right to it. Like I said, this is probably going to be a shorter episode, um, and uh, that's mostly by design and also by by coincidence, I suppose. Uh, Now today, we got Damien talking about Hellions number 9. He says, I had a weird response to this issue. It's Hellions, so it's one of my favorite books, and I didn't love it. I suppose it's the mastermindiness of it all, but I felt like I was being held at arm's length by the story. I'm used to feeling really involved. I also felt like Steven Segovia's art was a little flat and artificial. Maybe a deliberate choice to mirror the artificiality of the team's experiences, but it didn't sing with me. As you know, Hellions is one of the books I buy, so I'm not waiting for Marvel Unlimited, but I just realized that, though I've already bought it, I haven't yet read issue 10 of Hellions. This has never happened before now. I think I might be falling out of love with this book. Well, I tell you, I hope it's the mastermindiness of it. Um, that's something I could totally relate to in other books that, uh, for, the, for the most part, I really, really enjoy. But sometimes it comes to a point where I see a certain villain, and or I realize the path we're going to go down, or the way the story's going to go, and it just turns me off uh, for, from a book that I otherwise really, really enjoy. So... I, I definitely know where you're coming from uh, in that regard. Uh, one that I can point out immediately is uh, anytime I see Rajal Ghul show up in Batman, I'm done. I have absolutely no interest in Rajal Ghul. And I remember he was introduced in, um, I think it was like the second of Grant Morrison's arcs yeah, when he was uh, when he took over Batman back in, what, 2006, 2007, whenever the hell that was. But uh, I was really on board with uh, you know the first arc of that where we were introduced to Damien and stuff, but then it's like here's Rajal Ghul for five issues, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, it's May and I can't read Batman again until like October or November. So <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I hope that's what it is here because um, 
This is a, I, I still love this book. Um, I don't have a problem with the mastermindiness of it. Uh, for me, if anything, Arcade is a little bit of a uh, whack villain, but I think he's being used very, very well uh, in this uh, in this instance. But I could definitely understand, and hopefully once we're past the gala, A, that this book will still be going on, and B, it'll it'll maybe be something that uh, you're more interested in than, uh, than this arcade and mastermind funny game story. Because, I mean, we still got a lot of questions to answer in this book, right? So I'm... God, I hope it doesn't go away, because we, we got to find out what what's going on in Havoc's mind, right? We need to know that. Uh, we need to know what's going on with Nanny's uh, new robot baby. We want to find out what's going on with Orphan Maker. We got to find out with uh, with Wild Child and his new alpha persona and wanting to mate with Quanan and perhaps there being that love triangle between Wild Child, Quanan, and Grey Crow. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Finding out that Mr. Sinister turned on him, I mean, there... Boy, uh, it gets me excited just thinking about it, and it, like, really scares me that they're going to take this away from us before we get some answers, because, man, if they're... Then again, I mean, they're canceling X-Factor, and that's one of the very few books in this line that actually has a, a reason to exist. So you never know. We just never know. And, and X-Factor itself has a lot of dangling plot lines, too, with uh, with Prodigy, with iBoy, mm-hmm. the Aurora and Dakin Dakin relationship. It's, it's a damn shame. So hopefully Hellion survives the Hellfire Gala, and hopefully, if and when it does, it'll be a story that uh, you're more excited for. Now, Damien wraps up with anyway, until it turns out we were never really listening to X-Lapsed at all. Make mine X-Lapsed. I tell you, I'm, I'm like 30% sure that this entire endeavor has just been an audio um, illusion. So uh, we'll, maybe we'll find out. But uh, thank you so much for writing in to talk about Hellions, Damien. That is uh, definitely speaking my language, and I could go on for a long time. But uh, in the interest of wrapping this episode up before the construction starts up again, I will, uh, I'll leave it there. I'm sure we're going to come back to Hellions at some point. But thank you <laughs> so, so much. If anybody out there would like to write in and be part of the show, I would love for you to do so. You can find me several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, on Instagram as 90sXmen, and you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You could chat us up on Facebook. we got a wonderful little group going on there. It's a 90sXmen on Facebook. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic commentary listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere you find noise and sound on this here internet. And if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, I would love for you to spread the word and share the show and all that good stuff. It would really, really mean a lot to me. Speaking of which, it means so much to me that you'd spend a little bit of your day with me today. So thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.